Uh, hello and welcome to Impure Rethought. My name is Victoria, aka Vika. Hello, I'm Meg. <laughs> the other co-host. True, she is. Uh, what's our podcast about, Meg? Our podcast is about um, the ways purity, patriarchy, and profit have shaped our culture. That's exactly what it's about. Good job. Nailed it. Um, if you'd like to support the pod, you can find us online at Impure Rethought on Twitter and Instagram. You can leave us a review or you can join our Discord to come talk about stuff and get special sneak peeks of what we're researching. I fully thought you said you can find us on Vine. <laughs> I was like, that's not true. <laughs> no, Vine, Vine, RIP, RIP to a legend. Vine is long gone and has been replaced by, by the evil that is TikTok. <laughs> the evil that we also unfortunately love and spend yeah. so much time on. I mean, there are a lot of cat videos on TikTok. So, so many and great cooking videos. Yeah, I got... I avoided TikTok for a long time, and then in, like, early pandemic, I got heavily invested in the life of this tortoise that was on TikTok. Is it Ethel the Glamour Tortoise? No. Oh. No, it was a boy tortoise. Oh, I love but, Ethel, though. Highly recommend. But now I need to look up Ethel all the Glamour time. Tortoise. Yeah, Has nothing to think about amazing. except thoughts. <laughs> so, he loses touch with reality and lives in a world of illusions. This pure thought and impure thought business. Who are you to decide what is pure and impure? This is the way life is made. There's nothing pure, there's nothing impure. Life is just the way it is. It's for you. A culture that is obsessed with and prioritizes a separation from and control of natural human desire. Okay, today's episode is about communism and Christianity. Woo-hoo! <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is another one that I changed my mind on. So <laughs> this was not originally planned for this season, but, I, but you said something to me, and I was like, hmm, I should look into that. So... I guess before before we get into the research, Meg, uh, what do you know about communism? What are what are your general thoughts and feelings? Oh my god, um, this is really gonna tell on me. I like have not. Uh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> have not looked into it very much. I'm so excited to learn more about okay. this. <laughs> um, I feel like I don't know the general idea is that we like exist in communities we sure do right yeah that's <laughs> i guess that's it <laughs> um i probably okay. know more but i can't articulate it at this moment that's totally fine there is a reason that americans don't know anything about communism yes um, i'm sure there is uh, this is actually going to be a two-parter episode, so we're not going to get, like, fully into everything, because there's just, like, general disclaimer at the top of the episode. This is an incredibly complicated topic, and we are going to do a very brief look into it, but there was still too much information for one episode, so... <laughs> Today, what we're going to do is we're going to go for, go over the general history of communism and specifically religion's function in um, communism, and then in the next episode, we'll get a little bit more into how that's actually been applied in life. <laughs> Are you a communist? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah, so I, I guess... I'll just tell you what the definition of communism is first. Uh, a political theory derived from Karl Marx advocating class war and leading to a society in which all property is publicly owned and each person works and is paid according to their abilities and needs. So communism was first used as a term in the 1840s, uh, which is when Marx and Engels, who are like considered the founding fathers of communism, like did a lot of their writing um 
But communist societies were described as early as the 4th century BCE when Plato wrote The Republic, which describes a society where the governing class serves the interest of the whole community, which uh, Plato's Republic is like very controversial and Mm. widely ridiculed in certain circles. So um, controversial. It could also be argued that the first Christians lived in a simple form of communism, and likewise, communistic ideals have been described throughout history in works such as Thomas More's Utopia, which was published in Mm -hmm. 1516. So, in 1848, Marx and Engels, who are both German, by the way, uh, I did not publish. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, for some reason, I guess it's because like. In America, we associate communism with Russia. I just assumed mm-hmm. Karl Marx was Russian, but now I'm no. thinking about the name Karl Marx and <laughs> realizing that that was not my most critical thinking. <laughs> one time, um, but one time, I stayed in an Airbnb in Helsinki, which is the capital of Finland, and this this woman's apartment was really interesting but one of the most interesting things about it is she had this huge portrait of Karl Marx hanging on the wall (laughs) and underneath it was like a skeleton model that was like a robot like a robot skeleton oh wow that's a lot we had to cover up the yeah the robot skeleton because it was too scary and also there was a stripper pole in the bathroom (laughs) but she did have a Nintendo Atari so there was like there was a lot happening in that airbnb yeah um yeah they're both german um so in 1848 they published the communist manifesto which is used for many things and people still talk about today okay so after this i'm going to give you like a brief history a, a timeline of communism but before we do that any anything that you take away from this anything you've noticed oh um already besides Karl Marx being German (laughs) yeah I guess I also didn't know like that the communist manifesto was written not only by Karl Marx yeah Yeah. Engels Engels was kind of like Karl Marx's sugar daddy like he just kind of like financially supported him while he wrote (laughs) honestly ideal relationship truly um (laughs) I don't I don't know that much about Engels but I think like, he was definitely more financially well-off than Marx was. Mm. Um, okay, so I will now give you a brief history of communism. This is very, very, very uh, not in-depth, so nobody <laughs> yell at me. Brief. Okay. Keyword brief. <laughs> yeah. So in 1848, Karl uh, Marx and Friedrich Engels publish the Communist Manifesto. In 1917, Russia has the October Revolution, where the Bolsheviks overthrow the Tsarist government. Civil War follows uh, with the Red and White Army, Red Army being the Bolsheviks, the Communist Party, and the White Army being the Tsarist opposition. Later that month, the leftist socialist revolutionaries defeat the Bolsheviks in an election, but despite Lenin's promises of bread, land, and peace, he uses military force to take power. Uh, The Red Terror begins, which is the execution of the Tsar's officials, um, and prisoner of war labor camps and other police state tactics are established. On July 1st, 1921, Inspired by the Russian Revolution, the Communist Party of China is formed. In January 21st, 1924, Lenin dies at age 54 of a stroke. Uh, Joseph Stalin, who was Lenin's general secretary, eventually takes over official rule of the Soviet Union until his death in 1953 from a brain hemorrhage. Um, Under Stalin's orders, one million people in the Soviet Union were executed. Oh my god. Wow. Yeah. From 1940 to 1979, much of Eastern Europe, Asia, Africa, and South America, um, generally it's mostly people who are dealing with uh, colonialism, convert Mm -hmm. to communism either by revolution or by force. In 1945, the Cold War begins. Korea is split into North and South. 
East and West Germany are established with the Soviet Union controlling the East and the Allies, Britain, the U.S., and eventually France controlling the West. Uh, this is after World War II also. In 1947, President Harry Truman delivers a speech which is now known as the Truman Doctrine. The Truman Doctrine arose from a speech delivered by President Truman before a joint session of Congress on March 12, 1947. Um, this was in response to an announcement by the British government that they would no longer support the Greek government in its civil war against the Greek Communist Party. Truman asked Congress to support the Greek government against the communists, and he also asked Congress to, prov to provide assistance for Turkey. The U.S. government at the time actually incorrectly believed that the Soviet Union supported the Greek Communist Party and was worried that the Soviets would influence Greek policy, where actually the Soviet Union had deliberately stayed out of the Greek Civil War. Hmm. Uh, this is a quote from the Truman Doctrine. The very, the very existence of the Greek state is today threatened by te the terrorist activities of several thousand armed men, led by communists, who defy the government's authority at a number of points, particularly along the northern boundaries. The Greek government has been operating in an atmosphere of chaos and extremism. It has made mistakes. The extension of aid by this country does not mean that the United States condones everything that the Greek government has done or will do. We have condemned in the past, and we condemn now, extremist measures of the right or the left. We have in the past advised tolerance, and we advise tolerance now. So this is the first um, instance in the U.S.'s history of deliberately getting involved in a foreign conflict um, mm. that doesn't affect the U.S. at all. Interesting. Um, have, do you, does anything stand out to you here? Um, like the first in a long line of just like getting our noses in everyone else's business. Mm-hmm. It's surprising to me that that's like so recent that that was the right? first time. Yeah. Yeah, and I was, like, really thinking about it, and I was like, no, yeah, like, the U.S. had, like, a couple of wars in its history, but none that were, like, we're coming to save you until getting involved in the Greek uh, Civil War. Yeah. Which I I think they lost, but I don't know. I'm not I sure. I truthfully have never even heard of the Greek Civil War. Like, I didn't even yeah. know this was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> there were so many civil wars at this time, it's a little hard to keep track of. Mm -hmm. um, so basically, like at this time, like directly after World War II, the Soviet Union was honestly kind of wilding out. <laughs> so <laughs> they'd been they'd been in Iran, Turkey, and forcibly occupied many countries which fought against them in World War II because the Soviet Union was the sole allied power in Eastern Europe. So again, this is a super broad generalization. Most of Eastern Europe was allied with the Nazis in World War II, um, like in opposition to the Soviet Union because they had forcibly annexed a lot of land. I remember uh, when I was in Tallinn, the capital of Estonia, and if you don't know where Estonia is, it's on the western border of russia so it's like it's a very tiny country uh, right under finland at the kgb museum there there was like a plaque about this guy who had like defected during world war ii and they were like and the kgb caught him and like tortured him and executed him which is obviously awful but they were like yeah he defected to the germans and i was like oh you mean the nazis the yeah. nazis right like oh my god um but yeah, a lot of Eastern Europe was allied with the Nazis in World War II. Um, if if they weren't like directly allied, they were either dependent on German support or Soviet support. Mm -hmm. um, so there wasn't like there wasn't a lot of options, and Eastern Europe was like decimated by World War II. So the yeah. Eastern Front saw more deaths than all other fronts. Of World War II combined and the Soviet Union itself lost more than 20 million people in World War II. Oh my god. Yeah insane an insane amount of people for context the amount that the that the U.S. lost I want to say is like 400,000 like yeah. really yeah um and when I was living in Russia like it's like literally nobody has 
a family that was not affected by World War II. Everybody lost somebody there. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, so uh, another important piece of context is that Hitler had vowed to eradicate the Eastern Slavs, um, and that's why he decided to invade Germany and the Siege of Leningrad happened, which was, the Siege of Leningrad was like a time where there was just like intense famine, um, there's no food going in and out of the city, and it was a really like hard time for everybody uh in st petersburg um hitler did decide to invade russia in the middle of winter uh you would think he would have learned from napoleon that that's not a good idea but he (laughs) didn't so they ended up not taking um the soviet union but hitler also despite being a violent anti-semite he also wanted to eradicate the slavic people so that's fun um okay back to the timeline in 1946 winston churchill makes the famous iron curtain speech in missouri which alerts americans to the division between western allies and the soviet union this is also fun fact this is when the united nations was formed oh that is a fun fact yeah i I feel like it's easy to think about like some of these things that we think of in our life as things that have been around forever but they Mm -hmm. were not and the United Nations and uh, NATO specifically, like, it was a big point of contention between the Western allies and the Soviet Union because the Soviet Union was kind of like, what the fuck? We we lost so many people for you. And then they just got, like, frozen out out of everything. Mm. Um, in 1949, Mao Zedong declared the People's Republic of China. 1950, North Korea invades South Korea, intending to declare a unified communist state. The U.S. intervenes, and the Korean War begins. 1959, Fidel Castro overthrows the Batista regime, and Cuba becomes a communist government. Uh, still, still communist today. In 1961, Nikita Khrushchev gives orders to build the Berlin Wall to stop mass defectors from East Berlin to West Berlin. Um, half of Germany at this point is under Soviet control and half is under Western control. Berlin's Mm -hmm. kind of right in the middle. So they build the wall. Sound familiar? Um, In 1976, after the fall of Saigon, Vietnam is overtaken by communist forces after the the Vietnam War ends. In 1983, under Reagan, the U.S. invades the Caribbean nation of Grenada and overthrows the Marxist government in about a week. In 1989 is the Tiananmen Square Massacre in China. Uh, in pro- protesters calling for democracy are killed, and there's no official death toll, but it's probably hundreds of thousands of people. Also in 1989, the Berlin Wall falls. Uh, communist governments collapse in Czechoslovakia, Hungary, Bulgaria, Poland, Romania, Benin, Mozambique, Nicaragua, and Yemen. In 1991, Mikhail Gorbachev resigns. Soviet citizens actually vote to keep the Soviet Union in force, but it dissolves. Uh, Boris Yeltsin becomes president after Gorbachev. He bans the Communist Party. Communist governments also soon collapse in Afghanistan, Albania, Angola, Congo, Kenya, uh, former Yugoslavia, and other nations. Today, China, Cuba, Laos, and Vietnam remain under communist rule. North Korea remains nominally communist, although the North Korean government doesn't call itself communist. Mm. Okay, so in the tripartite pact, um, the so these are the countries that were like officially allied with Germany in the in World War Two, which is Bulgaria, Croatia, Hungary, Romania, and Slovakia. Uh, they all participated in the Holocaust and had their own Jewish persecution, but like this is also part of if you visit any country in Eastern Europe, like they had their own participation in the Holocaust for sure. Okay. Any thoughts about this? <laughs> oh my god. Um that was so fast. <laughs> I mean, there's much more that I could have put in there, I'm but sure. these were kind of like the big events. Yeah, yeah. Um, no thoughts at this time. I would <laughs> just like to hear more. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. That's fine. So, very brief timeline of communism. 
Um, and then before we go into the next session, next section, I'd like to hear what you think about like communism and religion specifically. Because the thing is that like Christians hate communism um, for well, for a reason that I know, but like not a not a well-known reason. Uh, so I'd like to hear what you think that reason might be. I guess because like a lot of the leaders of specifically like evangelical Christianity in the U.S. are like really powerful politically in like conservative political circles. And that kind of keeps them wealthy and comfortable so i imagine they wouldn't want to jeopardize that in any way i'm sure it's more complicated than that but that's honestly pretty on point okay so um i'm gonna walk you through a little bit of communist theory (laughs) right now this is a by no means a comprehensive overview please read the communist manifesto (laughs) (laughs) but so Karl Marx has a very famous quote uh, called religion is the opium of the people, right? That's that's Karl Marx. He said that. So basically, communism, as declared by Marx, is like fundamentally opposed to religion for basically the reasons that you just said. Uh, Religion is used as a tool to kind of oppress people and keep them like dumb and happy. So in Capital, Volume 1, Section 4, Marx argues that the religious world is but the reflex of the real world, which basically means that Christianity is the religion of the bourgeois because it turns labor into a form of social relation and treats products as commodities and values um, rather than like actual commodities and values. However, the most explicit condemning of religion in Soviet communist theory can be understood in the ABC of communism, which was written by Nikolai Bukharin and Yevgeny Preobrazhensky. I had to put this in here in Russian because I couldn't read the transliterated version, mm-hmm. and Cyrillic is completely phonetic, so I was like, what the hell is this? And like, <laughs> in, in English, I was just like... What is this name? But yeah, in Russian, it's Preobrazhensky. Um, in 1919, so they wrote this during the Russian Civil War, they argued that communism and religion were fundamentally incompatible because religion was used to keep the peasant laboring masses ignorant. They argued that social development was not brought about by any kind of supernatural order and that man influences nature in his own interests. Um, This is a quote from the ABC of Communism. It is the task of the party to impress firmly upon the minds of the workers, even upon the most backward, that religion has been in the past and still is today, of the most powerful means at the disposal of the oppressors for the maintenance of inequality, exploitation, and slavish obedience on the part of the toilers. Thoughts? (laughs) Um, Truly so many. (laughs) Where do I begin? Uh, Yeah, I mean... So on on the surface, obviously, I can see why, like, I guess why it would be easy for Christian leaders to then be like, you should hate and be scared of communism because it's trying to take away God and like, mm-hmm. you know, so they can definitely use that. I think there's an important distinction to be made, probably. I haven't obviously read the Communist Manifesto, so correct me if I'm wrong, but... <laughs> I think there's probably an important distinction to be made between, like, Karl Marx is talking about organized religion and the way Mm -hmm. that religion has been used, like, has been, like, weaponized in the past. Mm. Um, But there's a difference between that and just, like, a belief. But, yeah, I don't know. I guess, like, Christianity as an institution is the problem, not necessarily, like... Jesus's teachings. What a perfect segue into my next point. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks for that. <laughs> so in the ABC of Communism, Bukharin and Preobrazhensky also argued that the separation of church and state was necessary because the church was itself historically a landlord. And the bourgeoisie mm. only demanded separation of church and state because they desired the church's lands for themselves. This was eventually abandoned when the bourgeoisie realized they could in fact simply buy their sway in the church. Mm-hmm. So... 
This is another quote from the ABC of Communism. One of the first decrees of the Soviet power in Russia was the decree concerning the separation of the church from the state. All its landed estates were taken away from the church and handed over to the working population. All the capital of the church became the property of the workers. The Soviet power rejects all thoughts of using the church in any way whatever as a means for strengthening the proletarian state. Um, they were also very explicitly opposed to religion being taught in schools and to the existence of Russian church schools, which were a big thing, um, citing it as propaganda with undue influence on young people and making it impossible for them to see things rationally, especially when science and religion were in conflict. They also wanted parents to stop teaching their children religion at home, saying schools must take an offensive against religious fairy tales children may hear at home. Hmm. Dang. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely can see, like, what would be scary to Christians about this. Mm-hmm. Um, the ABC of Communism also makes the point that people are more likely to believe in God and other supernatural powers when they are unaware of the phenomena of nature and society, mm-hmm. saying that capitalism has a strong tendency in this direction because the workers don't control the means of production, so they're unaware of how society is actually formed and operating, Yeah, and the market controls the producer rather than the other way around. They say that understanding the world in which they live and understanding the means of production will liberate the worker. Now I'm going to read two quotes to you. The ordinary worker, knowing nothing of the real causes of the social happenings amid which his life takes place, readily inclines to accept the will of God as a universal explanation. And okay, this second quote, this is in all caps. So I want you to imagine this. Um, This is like straight from the ABC of communism too. They wrote it this way. Okay, in all caps. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. The transition from socialism to communism, the transition from the society which makes an end of capitalism to the society which is completely freed from all traces of class division and class struggle, will bring about the natural death of all religion and all superstition. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) So it was a pretty, like, active campaign against religion. Yeah. But... They did argue for patience and considerateness, not out of understanding, but say (laughs) that it was easy to hurt religious people's feelings and that religious people were very sensitive uh, to being criticized, which, true. True. Um, They said that to mock the religious symbols would actually hinder the campaign against religion and that if the church were to actually be persecuted, quote, persecution would remind them of the almost forgotten days when there was an association between religion and the defense of national freedom. It would strengthen the anti-Semitic movement, and in general, it would mobilize all the vestiges of an ideology which is already beginning to die out, Uh, end quote. Um, They follow this in the ABC of Communism by showing how the Tsarist regime paid people's money to the church, like money that had been collected via taxes. A lot of it went to the church. Um, It was an old currency, so I didn't convert it, but it was like, a significant amount of money that had been levied from taxes and paid to the church. Okay, now what are your thoughts? <laughs> um, well, I mean, you'll you'll probably go into this, but I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. Like, do you think that, I guess, like, do you fully 100% agree with Karl Marx on this? Um, no. <laughs> okay. I I do not. Yeah, neither do I. I think that, like... I don't know. I think it's really narrow-minded to um to imagine that if we were to actually like achieve um the eradication of capitalism that yeah. all forms of like belief in a higher power or whatever would just cease. Yeah. That doesn't feel realistic to me. No, I totally agree with you and I think like I think that, like, also a lot of the Soviet, like, I don't know, like, academics were pretty, like, privileged in their status as, like, men, first Mm -hmm. of all. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, there were some female communists who have, like, great writings. um, But I don't, I don't fully agree with everything like every communist writing that has ever been written because that would be impossible yeah but i get like think specifically the abc of communism like i totally get where they're coming from like 
I don't think that the existence of Russian religious schools is good either, but I don't think like, I don't know, I don't think it's something that needs to be completely eradicated because even when they did try to completely eradicate it, like people were still religious. Like, yeah, I think religion serves a function of comfort to a lot of people. Yeah. And as long as that's not affecting like policies, I think it's fine. Yeah, I agree. Um, quick question. What exactly is a Russian religious school? Is it just like our Christian schools or are they like public schools? Uh, they don't exist anymore. But as I understand it at the time, like, yeah, it was like a Christian school, basically, or school where like that was heavily focused on religion. I didn't look into it that in depth. So if I'm wrong, sorry. (laughs) That's okay. I was gonna say, I like, it's like a, you know, there's like Catholic schools. It would be like an Eastern Orthodox school. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think that they're, obviously, organized religion has been so harmful historically and today. Like, mm-hmm. there's no denying that. Mm-hmm. But I think that people can be religious and can, like, find comfort in the bible and whatever like whatever they choose without yeah being evil (laughs) and like also detrimental to like communism yeah i think it's like it's a pretty like um common like intellectual take to be like people who believe in any kind of religion are stupid and we must save them yeah but that's exactly what like religious people think about people who aren't yeah. religious. So it's like exactly. I don't know. We all just want to feel superior, I guess. But yeah, why don't we just kind of let each other believe what we want to believe as long as it's not hurting anyone, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I get I get where these um writers are coming from, mm-hmm. um, especially because like the Eastern Orthodox Church traditionally like was a huge oppressor right and i like i understand where they're coming from in terms of like mobilization of a political movement like it's really hard to be like well this this situation is a little nuanced but we should overthrow the government anyways (laughs) yeah it's it's so hard to bring nuance into literally anything but i think like i don't know (laughs) if we're not like fighting on the side of nuance (laughs) like i i want to like always be fighting for nuance you know, yeah. for like I, I further, deeper understanding of other people and what they're going through. Yeah. But, yeah. And I think it's also like easy to say hindsight is twenty twenty. Like it's easy sure. for yeah. us to say in 2022. But like Marx and Engels didn't live through like World War Two. You know, that's they true. Didn't. Yeah. They, I have no and, idea um, what 1848 was like. Me either. And Germany. Yeah. yeah I have yeah. no idea. I don't know. Like. I don't know if Germany was even, like, unified as a country yet. Yeah. Genuinely, no idea. So, the Russian Empire had a huge anti-Semitism problem. Mm. Um, And the Soviet Union was very, like, opposed to anti-Semitism. But Marx himself argued that Judaism should also be abolished because there could be no resolution between Jews and Christians without abolishing all religion. Um, so do you know what a pogrom is? A what? P-O-G-R-O-M. No. Pogrom. In Russian, I would say it pogrom. So those were anti-Jewish riots. Uh, the first one is traditionally said to have taken place, I think, in 1821 in Odessa. Wow. Um, this is the reason that a lot of Jews fled Europe in the mid 18th or mid 19th and early 20th century. Mm. Um, they became, pogrom means like violence, basically. Um, and it came into common usage with extensive anti-Jewish riots that swept the southern and western provinces of the Russian Empire between 1881 and 1884 following the assassination of Tsar Alexander II. This assassination was wrongly blamed on the Jews, and the church on the spilled blood in St. Petersburg is built on the place where this guy was assassinated. I think he was actually assassinated by an anarchist. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called the church on the spilled blood? Yeah, because that's, that's where he died. Yeah. It's a cool church. In the inside, it's decorated entirely with mosaic. Ooh. Um, 
pretty. Yeah, it's really cool. I like that church a lot. But that's where he died, and that's why it's called the Church on the Spilled Blood. Or, well, that's where he shot. He was shot, but not where he died. Uh, but so that assassination got wrongly blamed on the Jewish people, and it led to, like, uh, a lot of, like, fierce anti-Semitic reactionism Mm -hmm. um and like anti-semitism had already been a problem but it was really exacerbated by catherine the great's rule Mm -hmm. um and kept getting worse and so the soviet union being um opposed to anti-semitism they actually had like a ton of jewish support um the bolsheviks did so although individual bolshevik soldiers may have held anti-semitic beliefs the party as a whole was opposed to anti-semitism and when they took power they reversed a lot of laws um that were like specifically targeted against jews Mm. okay now um i would like to ask you a question okay so do you know anything about joseph stalin not really no do you know where he's from? Mm, nope. Stalin was from Georgia, which is a country in the oh, Caucasus. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Um, if you could guess anything about Stalin's life before joining the Communist Party, what would it be? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I guess probably that he was like, he comes from like a pretty well-off family, I would guess. But I have. Um, I actually don't know. But what I do know is that Stalin went to seminary twice. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So he was expelled from his first seminary. And then (laughs) the second one. I'm sorry. Being expelled from (laughs) seminary is so funny. I know. (laughs) And then the second one he was also expelled from for possessing illegal literature. Ooh, what was it? Oh, I don't know. I didn't look it up, but I should have. Oh, man. Yeah. So this this is kind of what disillusioned Stalin with the Eastern Orthodox Church. Uh, this is this is the beginning of Stalin's deconstruction. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. His expulsion from two seminaries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the fact that Stalin was really familiar with the Eastern Orthodox Church kind of contributed to his... Um, the way that he interacted with it as the leader of the Communist Party. Mm. Soviet leaders didn't care that much about actual religion. They were more Mm. concerned about the power of the church as a political force. So Lenin, who was the first Soviet leader, he had enacted a lot of anti-religious measures that like stripped the church of power, but he did not straight up outlaw religion. Mm. Then when Stalin came to power, he enacted something called the Godless Five-Year Plan, due to the influence the orthodox church still had specifically over the peasants so the godless five-year plan launched in 1928 and it gave local cells of the anti-religious organization sorry you keep cutting (laughs) out okay (laughs) every time you said godless it would just cut out like (laughs) here let me try turning off my wi-fi intervening god is god doesn't like that we're talking about the godless five-year plan oh you froze Okay, there we go. Can you hear me? Yes. Great. So, the Godless Five-Year Plan launched in 1928, and it gave local cells of the anti-religious organization, the League of Militant Atheists, new tools to disestablish religion. The League of Militant Atheists? Yeah. Oh my god. If you said that before, you totally cut out, and I'm so glad I'm hearing it now. (laughs) That is wild. Yeah. Isn't it? Um... So churches were closed and stripped of their property, as well as any educational or welfare activities that went beyond simple liturgy. And I remember actually in, so there's a big cathedral in St. Petersburg called uh, St. Isaac's Isakievsky. And inside there, they have all this like pictures of what it was like during the Soviet Union. And they turned it into a swimming pool, Whoa. Um, which seems honestly cooler to me yeah but, like amazing. they didn't change anything out about the building they just changed it from an orthodox church to a swimming pool <laughs> um so leaders of the church were imprisoned and sometimes executed on the grounds of being anti-revolution uh, mm. the few clergy who remained were replaced by those deemed to be sympathetic to the regime uh rendering the church still more toothless as a possible focal point for dissent or counter-revolution 
So at the heart of this plan, there was a pretty actually simple idea that it was possible and desirable to eradicate traditional national consciousness in order to create a society based on the universal principles of socialism. So they also planned to eventually export this like this plan to other communist countries that had allied themselves with the ussr Mm -hmm. so they were trying to basically establish a plan to overthrow the power of the church that would work everywhere um the they had a lot of social reforms and pro-atheism that sought to eliminate religion from day-to-day life altogether so in 1929 the soviets released a new calendar which uh, featured a five-day continuous week uh, designed to do away with weekends and so revolutionized the concept of labor but it also had a secondary function because by eliminating friday saturdays saturdays and sundays the days of worship for muslims jews and christians Mm -hmm. um was supposed to render observance more trouble than it was worth. Hmm. <laughs> Anything? Any thoughts here? Um, a little like dictatory, uh, kind of scary. Don't love yeah. these tactics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So by the eve of World War II, religious organizations uh, were no longer a political threat to the Soviet state. Stalin's position on religion was not that religion was evil but more like he was ready to use it in whatever way to maintain power Mm. so in 1927 the orthodox church had actually pled support for the communist government and in 1941 uh by the time germany invaded the soviet union the vast majority of churches had been closed down and thousands of priests had been arrested or executed so in 1917 there had been more than 50,000 churches in the russian empire but in 1939 less than 1,000 remained Mm. wow because of this stalin effectively uh felt like he had neutralized the orthodox church and right before world war ii he actually like welcomed it back and Mm. saw it as a tool to promote patriotism at home and earn the goodwill of allies abroad. So when Mm. it became politically useful to him, he no longer wanted atheist organizations around. Um, And when the war started, a lot of atheist periodicals and publishing houses were shut down, anti-religious museums were closed, and most of the institutions charged with atheist work were dissolved. Um, basically, the meaning of Soviet atheism was not really an absence of religion. It was more of a spiritual commitment to atheism that would satisfy the souls of Soviet citizens. Interesting. Yeah. Some of the ways that they attempted to do that is to replace the rituals of the peasants with, like, communist rituals. Hmm. So they replaced baptisms with newborn registration rituals uh, that <laughs> awarded medals to the children, and that turn- that proved really popular. Teenagers hmm. turning 16 were eligible for passports and went through a passport ceremony at institutions like the Moscow House of Scientific Atheism. Um, beginning in the 1960s, marriages, which were previously simple bureaucratic things, increasingly took place in wedding palaces where grooms and brides would don formal clothes and the officials spoke solemnly in ceremonial dress. And afterwards, many couples celebrated by taking part in photographic tours of the city's parks and Soviet monuments. This is still something that happens in Russia today, by the way. They love weddings. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I was going to say, like, that doesn't honestly sound that different from, like, weddings here. Yeah. I mean, it may be, like, more formal, but, yeah. Yeah. So, basically, like, in summary, atheism in the Soviet Union became its own kind of religion. There's yeah. a very famous propaganda poster um, where there's, like, this smiling guy um and he's like looking at the stars and this is this came out during the space race i think mm-hmm. and he says oh duncan's doing the dishes <laughs> but um and he says Baganyet, which means there is no god and he's like very smiley about it <laughs> <laughs> and this is like everywhere <laughs> that's so funny 
He's like, I'll send it to you, you after can, we're done. You can believe there's no God and still be happy about it. Yeah, true. We should, uh, I might like, maybe I'll use that um, on our Instagram when I like post oh, okay. about this episode. You should, for sure. Um, so essentially, like, yeah, in summary, the Soviet Union expelled orthodox christianity because it was a threat to the power of the soviet union and Mm -hmm. replaced it with like spiritual devotion of atheism Mm -hmm. to the soviet union this is one of the reasons that eastern europe is um experiencing a big like religious revival nowadays Mm -hmm. which we talked about briefly in another episode yeah but that is all of my research for this episode, uh, and we'll continue into part two next time. Amazing. But I would love to know your like general takeaways and also your predictions for what influence you think this has on like Western society. Ooh, okay. Um, so general takeaways, I, I guess like not that I was like surprised by Stalin's tactics. <laughs> you know because like yeah stalin's a big name for like having questionable tactics um mm-hmm. to say the least true but <laughs> a controversial figure yeah but i guess like the like something that stood out to me was the fact that he wanted to keep religion in place as a way to gain power mm-hmm. and it's like isn't that kind of exactly why people wanted to get rid of religion yeah. but yeah who am I, I guess, to judge? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, so that stood out. Um, definitely stood out that, like, atheism became the new religion. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that people just need rituals. Like, not everyone <laughs> does, which is why there are atheists and religious people in the world. Mm-hmm. But, like, even atheists have their own um, rituals. and. Yeah. Like, religious people have their own rituals, obviously. I think we just, like, need something to make us feel grounded and feel like we have some purpose. Need something to mark the calendar. Yeah, exactly. Something to look forward to. Yeah. Yeah. Very funny to me that, like, baptism was replaced with, like, come register your newborns or whatever. I know, right? (laughs) Yeah, uh, it can so, still be a ritual, <laughs> like, I guess. Yeah, but sounds like bureaucracy. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not sure how this happened in the actual Soviet Union, but I know one of the holidays that's still around in Russia today uh, is Masanitsa, which is an old pagan holiday. Mm. Uh, it's literally the Butter Festival. <laughs> oh wow, um, that sounds incredible. Yeah. Oh, it's great. It's I petition that we should get rid of thanksgiving and replace it with masanita um and then we can also give eastern europe halloween because they don't really do it there and they're really missing out yeah they are halloween's great the pagan holidays are always the best ones (laughs) they really are (laughs) masanita is like that it celebrates the end of winter and so you celebrate it by eating as many blini which are like russian pancakes as possible because they're shaped like the sun and then you mm. burn this giant doll made of straw and she <laughs> she signifies the coming of spring um amazing i'm not sure how that like was in the actual soviet union union but like it's still around so i imagine that like getting rid of like holidays like that wasn't super easy because if it was a pagan holiday like it's been around for a while yeah (laughs) so for sure like people like their holidays let them keep the holidays but like also they celebrate international women's day and international men's day in russia Mm. and in um like eastern europe and like on women's day all of the women don't have to go to work but the men do and you get yeah, but on interna- International Men's Day, the men don't have to go to work and women do, which I think is sexist. <laughs> I think I think women should have all the days off. <laughs> Imagine if it was that, like, men had to go to work on International Women's Day, but then on International <laughs> Men's Day, no one had to go to work. That would be amazing. 
Yeah. Uh, every day is International Men's Day. <laughs> but, yeah. No, I remember being so confused about that. And, like, uh, the place I was working, the first time we had International Women's Day, like, we still had to go to work. And everybody else was so upset. But they, like, the men, like, arranged a surprise for us, which was, like, for us to have a photo shoot. <laughs> it was really funny. That's cute. Um, yeah. That's funny. Uh, so they they replaced like they replaced holidays with other holidays like Soviet holidays and yeah. things like that. But I don't know because we gotta have our holidays. Um, as for like predictions for what was what was I predicting? How this would affect Western culture? Yeah. Well, I guess like I only really know the big backlash, and I probably mm-hmm. don't even know the smallest extent of that, but. Um, I know the propaganda that mm-hmm. has been thrown at us <laughs> forever. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I imagine like Billy Graham, as we know, um, wanted to kill killing, killing communism <laughs> with kindness. Yeah. Um, so I imagine there were like probably attempts at many missions trips out to Eastern Europe at this time and just like a big moral panic about i don't know <laughs> americans are always like so scared of like anything happening in another country like is it going to come to our country and it's like have mm-hmm. you seen our country like nothing changes it's going to be the same you know Forever. like white people are going to be fine <laughs> yeah but <laughs> i don't know i'm very interested to hear like more technically like how yeah. it affected western culture and probably still does today well i can tell you one thing that's going to be important in the next episode so eastern europe at this point is behind the iron curtain so it's really difficult to get in or out mm, like so cuba that mm-hmm, that's gonna be something significant and also there was one leader in particular one very famous american leader who uh, had a lot of influence on how American Christians thought of communism. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but I want you to think about it so you can guess at the beginning of next episode. Okay. I will be thinking a lot about it. Is it, can I ask, is it someone that we've talked about on the show before? Um, We've mentioned him in passing, but we have okay. not done a lot of deep dives on him. Okay, I think I might know. Do you want to guess? Is it Jerry Falwell? It is not. Okay. All right. I'll keep thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's the end of of part one of this episode. Amazing. I can't wait for part two. Yeah. I know. I learned a lot. I can't believe that Stalin went to seminary. I did not know that. (laughs) Yeah. That is wild. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Would never have guessed that. Not only one seminary, but two and got expelled from both. (laughs) Yeah. I bet those seminaries were like, we stand behind that. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> or or either that or they were like, oh, no, what have we done? Like, <laughs> yeah, if, only, if only we'd let him stay in seminary. That's very true. Yeah. They're like, we really failed in our ministry to Stalin. <laughs> <laughs> and now look at him. <laughs> uh, All yeah. right. Part two is going to be great. I'm excited. Um. Yeah, so thanks for listening. Uh, you can Thank find you. us on Twitter or Instagram at Impure Rethought. Um, you can join our Discord. Or you can email us. Or you can email us, yes. At impurethought at gmail.com. Yeah. And we will see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Thanks. May, May your thoughts stay dirty. dirty. Bye. Bye.